Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world, whether you in Dubai, whether you in Miami, whether you where I'm from in Kansas City, Missouri, the 816 Babies, you know, wherever you are right now, I appreciate you for tuning in for another episode of the Culture Talks podcast with Sis the Kids, C-I-Z-Z-Y, and we are back again with another fire guest. I tell y'all every week, I'm gonna come back with the fire guest. I'm going to come back with the fire guest, and I ain't lied to y'all yet. Truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues, ladies and gentlemen. So today, to the left of me, if you're watching the video or just in your ears right now, we have another fire guest, and I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself right about now. Hey, my name is Pollyanna, and I am a millennial woman who has fought for her dreams and won. Um I think that society is so tied to titles, um, but I think it's really important to understand who we are beyond them. Um, so that's really important to me. But if I had to formally introduce myself, I am a journalist. I'm currently a senior writer at Forbes and Business Insider. And when I'm not reporting on women in business, I am running a full service ghostwriting agency. And I am a celebrity ghostwriter who helps turn personal stories into powerful brand assets. So I pen books, keynote speeches, and public statements for the world's leaders and doers who are shaping the future. I love it. I love it. And if that wasn't powerful just in that statement, let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper. I know you kind of covered it right there at the snippet, but if you were to try to describe yourself, like your character, your personality, like you outside of business, how would you describe yourself in, you know, a few short sentences? <laughs> um, I am a girl who is still imaginative who still has her childlike wonder, who's curious. I am someone who plays chess often. I love brain games. I love to challenge myself. Um, and I'm just, I just really believe that there's a difference between your job and your life assignment. And for 33 years, uh, I've been really on a quest to figure out what that purpose is. Um, and I really, I don't know. I just, I'm in such a great, space right now, I have to say. And so I really feel like the most successful people in the world have not lost their childlike wonder. I feel like they're still, they understand that the world is built by dreamers. And so as long as I keep asking why, and I just follow my butterflies, I feel like I'll always be in a good position. I love that. You mentioned two things that I kind of live my life by. And it's like always reminding yourself that there's still a kid inside of you. And once you discover that, and once you tap into that as an adult, like you rediscover a whole new world again. And then you saying, you know, always asking why, like somebody says no to you. No, I don't want to take you on for this contract. Why? Like, no, I don't think you'd be a good fit for this business. Why? 
no, I don't think you're the best employee here. Why? And it's and it's not like trying to be annoying. It's really just trying to better yourself by, you know, getting as much feedback as you can, because whether it's critical or whether it's, you know, positive, all feedback can help us learn. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, when you were growing up, did you think that you were going to be doing what you're doing today? Like when you were, matter of fact, what city did you grow up in? And what, yeah, go ahead and start there. Yeah, for sure. The answer to your first question is yes. I always had big dreams for myself. And I think when we're children, we all have big dreams for ourselves. But as we get older, when we are bombarded with media messaging, we are we are dealing with uh, teachers and guidance counselors and parents who put a lid on our dreams. And then, you know, we're then told when we enter high school that we need to be a little bit more realistic. And so many kids, teenagers get stuck in that gray area. Um, the second part of your question, I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, um, traditional two parent household. Uh, I was uh, taught to play it safe, to color within the lines, never step outside of them. So I have always been, let's say, the rebellious one in my family, um, simply because like, I, I always asked why, like, I just didn't really understand, like, like, what could really, I just, I really understood because I was very fascinated with the origin stories of other leaders and entrepreneurs, public speakers. And I knew from reading and studying their life trajectory, I knew that success didn't arise from playing it safe ever. And so when my parents and the people around me would encourage me to do that, I I don't know, like that really made me made me feel really misunderstood, made me feel depressed. Um, I've lived with depression and anxiety since I was a kid. And I just didn't really understand. But then it, I later discovered that oftentimes when people put limits on your life, it's because they are operating in fear, self-doubt. Um, you know, they're really afraid of taking the next step. And, you know, they sometimes your parents don't know what they don't know, right? Um, and so I think it's, I think everyone is entitled to their opinion, but I have every reason to look past it. Yes, yes. I always tell my siblings, because I'm the baby of the family, right? You know, I'm the baby of nine. Everyone's trying to tell me, what are you doing? You know, like, why don't you go back to school? Why don't you, you know, go do this? Why don't you go do that? Why didn't you study a trade? I'm like, listen, man, like, I love you guys and I appreciate all your opinions, but I'm only going to really take advice from people who are doing what I want to do in life. You know, like, right. I, I, it's not that I'm shutting you down. I'm going to consider what you have to say, but why would I listen to somebody who has no experience in investing in, 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 in stocks? No, if that's what I'm interested in or invest or starting a trucking company or right. interviewing entrepreneurs like yourself. Like if you haven't done that before, or you don't know anything about that. Why would I really consider, <laughs> consider too exactly. much of what you have to say? So, you know, I love that. And speaking of being like, you know, uh, the, 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 I forgot the words you used, but stubborn one of the family yeah. or so, um, do you have any siblings? And if so, you know, are you the youngest, oldest, what was like that, the, the environment growing up? I know you said it was a traditional household, but did you have any cousins you were around that influenced what you might've wanted to be when you were growing up or yeah. Talk about that a little bit. So I'm the oldest, uh, I have two other siblings. Um, I'm the oldest. And so when you're the oldest, like, your parents are very delicate with you because they're experiencing everything for the first time with you. Um, and so 
nobody around me wanted to be a writer. Like writing is not a popular decision. Like you don't often hear that amongst your friends and your peers, but I was bullied a lot as a kid and I spent a lot of time alone. I used to eat lunch by myself all the time, go for walks by myself. You know, I just, I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, and so when I would spend time alone, I always had a notebook and a pen and I would write about what life would like, what life would be like outside of the hellhole that I was in. Mm. And so that's when, that's when things seemed really peaceful and really perfect. And I was like, I knew I wanted that feeling to continue. So it just made sense to me that I would either go into communications or journalism. But when I articulated this to my teachers, to my parents, they told me no, for the mere fact that like, I really didn't do well in school, right at all. And so I failed grade 11 and 12 English, I later dropped out of college. And so like, it just wasn't, they just didn't think it was in the cards for me. They didn't think it made sense because I just, I wasn't a great writer. Um, and so, well, I shouldn't say that traditionally speaking, like, you know what I mean? Yes, traditionally yes. speaking, I wasn't a great writer. Um, I had a very slow learning curve, you know? Um, and oftentimes when the teacher would speak to me, it was like they're speaking in a foreign language. When I would read the textbook, I had a hard time reading for many years as a kid. Um, it, it, when, when I would read the textbook, I'd have to read it three, four, five times to digest the information. So me saying that I wanted to be a writer was so left field for everybody. So they discouraged me from taking that, that path. Um, and so uh, I entered a college program that I ultimately just hated. I just, you know, followed mommy and daddy and what they said. I was a good girl. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I dropped out my second year and I promised myself that I'd figure this shit out. And I really do think that, you know, I think people need to understand that every successful entrepreneur, executive, um, uh, artist was once an amateur. Everyone starts at zero. Yeah. And so you know, and you are allowed to hit the reset button as many times as you need to, whenever you need to. And so for me, it was like, I dropped out of school, then I hit the reset button. I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. Um, and I exercise uh, critical thinking skills and problem solving skills, which I think, honestly, like, a lot of young people today, I think that's like the biggest, uh, uh, it's really concerning to me, I'll say that, because I, I mentor a million gazillion people. And through having conversation, and I think with the emergence of social media, and everything's at our fingertips, no one's willing to like put pen to paper and solve their life issues like a math equation to really think through like, what is the next logical step. And so yeah, like I had no experience. I had no background or, or traditional training. And so I really had to build everything from the ground up. Man, and and before we jump into that, you you spoke a lot about, you know, so, you know, you, you spoke about failing um, English 11th, 12th grade. You talked about, you know, dropping out of college. You talked about the social challenges you had growing up and dealing with depression and anxiety. So there's a lot of adversity that you faced and you're still very young. So can you talk a little bit about how you overcame some of this adversity? I know you I know you shared that, you know, when you were younger, you used to spend time writing and that felt like you were that's when you felt most at peace. But are there any other, you know, maybe keys to overcoming adversity that you might want to share with people out there in the world who are facing similar challenges that you faced? I would never want to change anything, to be honest. Like, it's interesting because when I was in high school, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be like the cool kid. You know what I mean? I, you know, who wants to be, who wants to be picked on, right? Who wants to right. be bullied? Um, but I wouldn't change anything because it, it helped me develop a backbone. Mm. And now as I navigate the world of entrepreneurship, 
people, you know, I mean, I know how to handle myself when I'm sitting around the table with, you know, with all white men. I know how to handle myself when I'm negotiating a deal. I know how to handle myself or lead a team. And so um, I want to say to anyone who's dealing with adversity, it does get better. Um, and that the only way I know how to climb out of any hole I'm in is gradually, one step at a time, right? You got to be patient with yourself. Um, a key factor that helped me a lot was acquiring mentors. So almost immediately when I dropped out of school, um, I messaged a, a young woman on Facebook. This was, I mean, we're going back to like 2008, 2009. And I had messaged someone on Facebook that I had admired. Um, you know, she had a business. She was flash. She was confident. She had that black girl magic. And, she, you know, I remember we went out to dinner and she's still my mentor today, right? Going on 10 years. So for me, it was like standing on the shoulders of giants and also asking a lot of questions and not being a victim to analysis paralysis. So I think right now, like, you know, because of Instagram and whatnot, everyone wants to present something that's picture perfect. And so I, my very first website, my very first blog was so poorly designed, but I was so proud of that shit because it was, it was free and it was the only thing I could afford. And I just, I just, I really do feel like that's just like the, the essence and the beauty of being a creator, like everything you understand that everything's a work in progress. And so I had a free website, it was poorly designed, but every, I was so proud of it. And every day I was consistent. I gave my heart to it. And I just, I was really passionate about the things that I was writing about. And so I don't let, um, fear paralyze me. I think people are under the impression that successful people are not afraid of anything. We're all afraid of every, I'm afraid of everything. I'll speak for myself. I'm afraid of everything. I don't let it paralyze me. So in the infancy of my career, of course it was scary, scary to have a blog at the time because you know it was a very new thing, um, putting yourself out there, putting your work out there. But for me, like I wanted everything that was on the other side of my fear so much more. That like I didn't care what I had to go through to get it, so I just really stayed the course. I love it. I love it, and I believe from what I read read up on the lovely lady here is uh, that you did have a corporate position before you moved into entrepreneurship full time. So could you start there on on once you dropped out, what you were doing for work, and then um, how you transitioned out of that into entrepreneurship? Yeah, sure. So I was a executive assistant to presidents and CEOs, various organizations over the course of 10 years. Um, it was by far, and I didn't realize this early on in my career. I learned later on, I, I guess I had a special appreciation for it because I then realized that it was literally one of the best positions in the company. To be an assistant to anyone, especially uh, CEOs and presidents. I mean, I had a bird's eye view of the entire organization. I was able to ask questions. I learned how to read sales reports. I learned, um, you know, how they strategized in three hour long meetings. Um, I was privy to a lot of confidential information. And I really do think that working a nine to five was critical for me to be successful in my own business. Um, and I want to tell anyone who's complaining about their nine to five to shut the fuck up because it just doesn't, to me, like you can't, in order to operate a million dollar company, you need to study how one is run. 
And what better way to really do that than to work for an organization? So that means you should, well, I'll say what I did. My suggestion is to raise your hand whenever you can, take out, take on projects outside of your scope of work, outside of your title, right? Uh, volunteer for committees and clubs. Um, I also did informational interviews with every head of the, every um, head of department. So the head of marketing, the head of sales, the head of HR, et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, I did, I sat down with them for 10, 20 minutes and just asked them questions about their role, their function, their responsibility. You know what I mean? In the in the first few years of your company, you wear every hat. So why not really tap into that? So for me, it just made sense. And of course it sucked. And there are some times where I was crying on the bathroom floor and things were really frustrating, but that's just, again, going back to what I said earlier, I studied the origin stories of so many entrepreneurs prior that I was like, like, I knew it was just literally the thing that I had to do in order to get to where I wanted to be. So you just suck that shit up. Like, I think it's, you know, it's, I know it's difficult, especially now, you know, with bosses being micromanagers because everyone's working from home, but you just got to do what you got to do so that you can do what you want to do. And that's how I really looked at it. I love that. And and I needed that myself because I struggle with that a lot, especially just like, you know, I'm never going to hate on the nine to fivers, but like, I always like when I'm working, I'm just like, ah, like, I just want to be doing what I want to do. Like, I don't like this guy telling me that I can't, you know, get off work on my sister's birthday. Like, I'm just like, ah, I get so frustrated. Well, you have to get that frustration to turn into motivation at some point. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. like, like, I used that. to be, I was just as mad too. I mean, I was, you know, it, Listen, corporate, like corporate, they don't, they don't care about you. You know what I mean? But like, I think it's just a mindset shift that everyone needs to experience. The number on your corporate contract, when you got that position, that is what they can afford. It doesn't amount to your true value. Mm. Right. And so for me, it was just a matter of just like shifting my, I'm like, listen, I consider this getting paid to come to business school every day. So I'm going to literally milk all the resources I can. I'm going to ask all the questions I can. I'm going to make all these executives teach me what these numbers, these acronyms, you know what I mean? Like all, you know, these reports. So I'm going to learn everything so I can take these skills and transfer them into my business. And that's exactly what I did. I quit my job January 2019. Um, and uh, in 2018, I built a six-figure company from my cubicle. And then I decided to leave. Wow. And so, so... First off, you've dropped like so many like quick gems, like boom, like ah, boom, like ah, boom. <laughs> so I hope everyone that's listening to this podcast is listening clearly. If not, run it back and make sure you have a notebook out and a pencil um, because it is mandatory. This is probably one of the better interviews, not to say that any of my past guests were amazing, <laughs> but this is probably one of the better interviews you're going to get. And on top of that, please, if you can't listen to this full episode right now, go to her Instagram right now and go watch her. Is it Bomb Life? Mm -hmm. bomb life highlights i promise you you will pull a lot of gems um but continuing forward so 2018 how are you building a business from your cubicle there's a lot of people who love to come <laughs> <up> with, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of people who love to come up with excuses about you know and i'm not gonna lie i've been one of them too so like there's a lot of people who love to come up with excuses like i'm working this job i don't have time so how are you figuring out you know what, what what's stimulating your brain like oh I could be doing this when I'm not at work or I could be doing this in my free time at work like what yeah. stimulates that and what were you doing and just kind of talk about how so you so I would use my travel time to and from work to uh catch up on my assignments 
I went into the office every day at 6 a.m. Now that's something that like most people are just not going to do, but I'm not most people. So I would go into the office every day at 6 a.m. Um, and sometimes that meant waking up at four. Um, and I would uh, work on my shit till about eight or nine o'clock. And then I would clock in. And then on my lunch breaks, like I never took lunch ever. I always use my lunch break to work on my articles, um, work on a public speaking gig, um, have a meeting, but book a boardroom. Now, whenever I do my interviews, it's very important. See, I went into each one of my jobs at my salary cap. Money was not a main driver for me. I needed environments that were millennial driven. I wanted to work for people that who could be my mentors. Um, I wanted uh, unlimited vacation. So three weeks in and above, there are so many other factors that were important. I needed to work in a space that, you know how some of these new age offices, they're like open concept and everyone can see your computer. That I could not do that because if I'm going to run a company, I can't have everyone in my business. So that's why I said I had the old school cubicles. Like I was just very selective where I wanted to work. Like I said, I went in like at my salary cap. So money wasn't important to me. So I, all these other factors were critical. So I just leveraged my time. You work the nine to five, you come home, you work six to midnight. I did that every single day for many, 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 many years. Tired as fuck, just drained, um, you know, or I cried a lot, but I just knew I was building something. I knew I was building something. I was, you know, and so like, um, you just have to be patient. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think time management, having also having systems in your business. And then the other thing is just like applying what you learned. I think so many people are addicted to going through, going to 18 different conferences a year, um, listening to a hundred podcast episodes, and they never really apply what they learned. Like the difference between successful people and average ones is is application. So like, I just made sure that I apply. I didn't just like sit on information. I applied it. Um, and yeah, I think the biggest thing is just managing time. I think that's the biggest thing that people um, struggle with. Um, so you just really have to make make sure you don't misuse the hours of each day. I love that. And and speaking of 100 podcasts and then and what you said right there, it's like I was just listening to podcasts like literally 30 minutes ago and, and the gentleman asked, he's like, so he, he said the same thing. People just need to make you know, make use of their time. And then he was like, well, how do you like take care of your time a little bit better? He's like, value it. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And that's all he said. He left it right there. And, and the dude was like, anything else? He's like, no, he's like value your time. He's right. like, he's like, as soon as you do that, then, you know, you'll, you'll level up little by little, but people don't value their time as much as they think they do that hour you spend, you know, on Netflix or that hour that you yeah. spend here it all adds there. up how valuable is your time truly to you and, and, and your freedom? Because that's, I guess, you know, a lot of time what people are working towards and not everybody, but you mm -hmm. know, a lot of time people are working towards their freedom and their legacy. How important, how much do you value that? If you don't value it enough, then you're going to spend a lot of time on Netflix in your free time. You're not going to go into work an hour or two early to get some stuff done. You're not going to stay up from six to 12 yeah. after you just worked a hard ass day at your corporate job and got yelled at, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're not going to do that if you don't value it. So that's, that's, that's powerful. I love that. Um, so you talked at the beginning of the episode about what you do, but can you talk about maybe your first, your first paid, you know, situation, like, you know, not for your, not for your corporate yeah. job, but for you, your first paid situation. And how did you maybe 
I guess, negotiate that deal? Or how did that, how did that come into fruition? If you can remember. Sure. So first paid writing job ever was in 2011. I think it was like December, 2011. I still have the check laminated in my bedroom wall. It was for $450. Um, so here's the thing. I met my mentor. I dropped out of school 2008, met my mentor 2009, started my blog 2010. A year later, my mentor, you know, unbeknownst to me, she had connections in the journalism industry. She called me and she said, hey, I think I have an opportunity you'd like. And she then hooked me up with an interview at a publishing house in Toronto. Um, the publishing house looked at my blog and hired me just based off my consistency and my passion. So I was writing for every major newspaper across the country um, for four years. So, you know, early 20s, young journalist. And it just goes to show you, you just don't know who's watching what power they hold. So before, you know, you just, you can't put so much emphasis on vanity metrics because honestly, for the first year of my blog, I probably had like 12 views a month. Like, I don't even fucking know, but nobody knew who I was. I didn't have a name for myself. I didn't have a brand. So I imagine it was little to no views, but you know what? Out of those 12 views, one person was watching and wanted to give me a shot. So that's the first thing I want to say. In terms of um, as my career, you know, bloomed and blossomed, um, I mean, I've always, my, so my father's Jamaican, he has multiple hustles, as you can imagine. So like, I've always been making money, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'll always be okay because I know how to sell myself. So that was my first check ever. And then from there, actually in my bedroom, I have the check. And then I have um, a piece of paper and on the paper, it says, there's always more of that came from. I'm a big believer in speaking things into existence. I'm a big believer in raising your vibration. You know what I mean? Like that's important to me. So like, that's a reminder of humble beginnings. And then from there, it's just always, it's kind of spiraled into so many different things, public speaking. Um, I, you know, my, my writing career has just, you know, has blown up. I'm a journalist. I, you know, I'm a two-time author. Um, I was a songwriter at some point, you know, I mentor, I do a lot of consulting work. So things have just like evolved over time. Um, but I will never forget, but again, I will never forget the first check I ever got from my art because so many people said, so many people said that it would never happen. I love that. I love that. And there's so many, it's funny. Cause I knew like before this interview, I was like, I'm going to have like a thousand more questions than I can actually ask, <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> I think uh, one of the questions I want to ask, just because it's something people hear about a lot, but I don't think a lot of people know what it is. So can you kind of define, at least in your career field, what exactly co what consulting looks like? And maybe like, like, yeah, just kind of explain what consulting yeah. looks like. A lot of people are like, I consult for this person. I consult for <laughs> these companies. But like, what the hell does that mean for those who what don't What is know? consulting? That's so funny. So consulting is, okay, when you have built your reputation when you have established yourself as a thought leader, when you have uh, years of expertise, people will then hire you as a consultant to advise them on their business structure, to advise them on their business practices, advise them on building an effective team, um, you know, making key decisions, um, advise them are on key brand partnerships. So I get looped into conversations with companies um, who, I don't want to say who are insecure, but who are indecisive and would like to have an expert opinion on whether they should go left or right, pick one or two. 
black or blue, right? So that's what consulting work is. It's it's an ongoing brainstorming session. It's a mastermind. It's it's when people hire you to lend your expertise because you have the experience to back your shit up. I love that. I love that. And being that that you know, 2020 happened and COVID-19 happened, um, I know that you were doing a lot of traveling, but how did that transition? How did work transition for you during you know COVID, you know, pandemic shutdown? Yeah. Like did did con- consultations shift to Zoom? Did did mentoring and everything just shift to Zoom or Google? Like what how did your business change once the pandemic hit? So my business changed. Uh, so my main jam is ghostwriting and my business changed because I wouldn't say changed, it increased because the world was in chaos. And when the world is in chaos, my business thrives. Um, it's a harsh reality because a lot of CEOs, a lot of senior level executives, founders, black Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. They want a communications advisor to help them with their messaging, their public statements, their speaking notes. If they appear on CNN, right. They want, they want help with, you know, that keynote that they need to deliver. And so 2020 was one hell of a year for my team. It was, it was insanity. Um, we had no life. We, we had to revisit some of the harsh realities. Um, every single time we had to uh, uh, pen a piece of content. Um, and so, yeah, everything just, I mean, yeah, I was used to being on a plane every other week. I went from that to just sitting my ass down, being in the house and doing everything from Zoom. Um, but yeah, 2020 was a wild year. It was exciting. Um, every single day I was getting phone calls left and right from really interesting individuals. Um, but I'm just really happy that, you know, I didn't even know when I, when I started the business that I created a business that was, that was recession proof, uh, essentially. And so we didn't take a hit and I'm really thankful um, that we were in that position. Lovely, lovely. And you mentioned your team. So can you maybe give some uh, key insights on what you think are necessary qualities that you need to look for when you're building out a team as a CEO or as an owner of a company or, or, or you know, just, or a, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're leading a team inside of your corporate position. Um, can you give some key, you know, what yeah. do you look for in somebody when you're building out a team? Well, I think before you lead a team, you have to uh, have enough self-awareness to understand whether or not you are capable of even leading, right? And I think 2020 made a lot of founders, CEOs, you know, um, senior level executives, it made us question ourselves. Can we be compassionate leaders? What's more important than the bottom line? right? How, uh, what's the mental health status of the people that report to us? And so I went back to school. I took a leadership program at Yale University so I could relearn some things or unlearn some things, I'll say. And um, because I come from a history of monster bosses. I come from a history of bosses screaming their head off at me, making me cry, scaring me into perfection, um, when you're an assistant to a president of a Fortune 500 company, there is no room for error. So I come from a history of just like scare tactics. And so I could feel myself slowly turning into that. And so I had to reset. Um, so yeah, so I think part of having a great team starts with the leadership, number one. Number two, um, 
I mean, I don't have high turnover. I don't have high turnover. Everyone has been with my team forever. And I think it's because we have a great company culture. I have an open door policy. Um, I have people on my team who are smarter than me, who bring, you know, different things to the table, who are the best at what they do. Um, and I love that I, I foster training. So I encourage my team to pick any course that they're choosing. Um, I fund up to 75% of their education. Um, and, and I encourage them to, you know, I always ask them, you know, what's the larger picture for your life? And how does your work at the company fit into that? Because I want to know what else they want to do beyond writer's block. I want to know what other goals they have for themselves. And how can I help either through a recommendation letter, either through a phone call or an introduction? Um, you know, do I need to help you with an opportunity or open a door? Right. So for me, that's most important. And I think that's why people stay, because I care beyond the bottom line. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, I do want to say thank you again. I always, always got to say thank you in the midst of, of, of gems being dropped and just appreciating the conversation. So thank you for your time today. Um, listeners, make sure you are listening closely, writing notes and rewinding if you hear something fire. A lot of times I feel like people hear a podcast or watch a video and they're like, oh, that was fire. And then they just keep watching. <laughs> I'm like, bro, like, go back and write that down. Write that down. Right. You will forget. I promise you, you will forget. So write it down. Um, I do have a few questions about things that you've said. Like I told okay. you at the at the beginning of uh, the podcast, I really enjoy those highlights. Yeah. Um, so these are some key things that stood out that I just had uh, further questions on. So um, in one of the highlights, you mentioned a zero mindset. So what's your new zero mindset? And you talking about 10K is your new zero, like for your bank account. A lot of people are like, yeah, that's like, actually increased quite a bit. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. So I love it. I love it. I love it. So yeah. kind of talk about that mindset. Yeah. So, I mean, I learned that from my parents. Um, zero should never be zero. Um, if you set the, if you raise the bar, then you're never going to have to worry. I mean, of course, as an entrepreneur, there'll be some, some moments where you, you may not even know how you're going to make payroll, but if you set a new, a new zero limit, um, it kind of like just, uh, provides a cushion, right? So, you know, zero could be 10 K could be 500. It could be 50 K. But just do what you feel like is comfortable for you and do not go under it. I mean, I have friends who have six figures in their bank account, but they will still tell you they're broke, right? They'll still, they'll still tell you that they're on a financial diet. They'll still decline dinner invitations, right? So because they're not, they don't want to go under their zero, right? So I really do think that's important. Money mindset is important. I love that because when I heard that, when I was watching the highlights, I was like, damn, you know, like, like <laughs> I was like, damn, because, you know, not, not in any arrogant way, but at least in my community of like friends and stuff, I'm seen as the person, you know, that they come to, to ask questions about certain things or that, mm -hmm. that comes with the motivation and the inspiration and the vibes. And when I heard that, I was like, damn, I need to switch up my whole entire mindset. I was like, I'm only denying dinner invites when I'm under $15. I'm like, oh, hold up. Let me, let me, let me switch my whole setup up. So, so I thought it was fire when you said that. Um, another thing that you mentioned, and, and I thought it was powerful, especially after you mentioned, you know, dealing with depression, anxiety, growing up, you said feelings are not facts and you won't let them control you. So maybe just double down on that a little bit. Um, again, these are just things that I thought were fire that stood out, but I just wanted to hear your, your, a little bit more insights on. 
Yeah. So that's something I remind myself when I, cause I'm a very sensitive person. I'm very emotional as well. So it really helps me to ground myself when I tell myself that feelings are not facts. Right. And, you know, my partner always reminds me, um, you know, what are the facts, right? And we go over them, you know, if we're looking at a particular situation, we go over what we know is for sure, right? And then we dismiss everything else. Um, you know, I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, you are gonna cry every once in a while, you're gonna get in your emotions, but as long as you don't stay there, right? Like I said, climb out of the hole gradually. So if you go over, what are the facts? What do I know for sure? It can equip you to make a better decision moving forward. I love it. I love it. I love it. Again, just just quick gems. I love quick gems. There's long gems. There's there's quick gems. There's small gems. And I'm just like, hmm, I like this. See, podcasting is really a selfish thing. <laughs> Let me tell you, because look, you get on, you get to have crazy conversations with people. You get to learn, you get to pick gems from it, and then you can run back and listen to it. And then you also get to share the value with the world. So anybody out there listening, please start a podcast. I'm telling you. Um, so you, you mentioned that you print out bios when you go into conversations with other, you know, businessmen, businesswomen, you, you, or when you go into a meeting, you print out bios on these individuals. Can you talk about what exactly you mean by that? And then how that's helped you out when you go into meetings with people, when you go to conversate with people? Yes. So I never go into a meeting unprepared. Um, I think it's very irresponsible. Um, I at least will check out, at the very least, I'll check out someone's social media to see what's going on in their life. Um, but it's great to print out their LinkedIn profile or their bio so you can also see their accomplishments um, because it better equips you to ask smarter questions. I do think there is such thing as dumb questions and people will say that there isn't, but there is. And maybe that's the journalist in me. Um, it's interesting because like I get asked to, people want to meet with me all the time, young people, whatever, people that I mentor, et cetera. And I always challenge them to, and, so, and the thing is like, so I'll use you as an example, actually, right? You combed through my, my social media, right? And you did your research on me so that you could come to me with, with smart, well thought of questions. Whereas I find that people don't do the background research to put themselves in a great position. I can't tell you how many meetings I've had with high profile individuals. And because I asked great questions, I held their attention. Um, we extended the meeting. I probably, I might've had 10 minutes at the start. They gave me half an hour or they gave me the opportunity or they connected me with a colleague because I knew things about them that they didn't even think I would even, I would even look into. I love it. I love it. I love it. I say I love it a lot. <laughs> and that's because I do. Um, so so we still have a few more serious questions, but I want to detract for a little bit and I want to ask you, what are some what are some fun things you appreciate about growing up in Toronto? I know that Toronto's just became came on the scene as a as a popping city over the past 10 years because of Drake and some of these artists, but what have you appreciated about it? What have you enjoyed about it growing up there? Uh, it's very clean, the people are polite. Um, we have free health care. Honestly, we have it very, very good here in Toronto, Canada. Um, but I will say this. Um, one of my favorite pastors, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, he says you will not go further than you think. And so I find that people in Toronto often just stay there. Um, even though it's a metropolitan city, you know, we call ourselves a melting pot. There's a lot of opportunity. I knew that opportunities 
you know, there were opportunities beyond borders. And so I actually spent a great deal of my time in New York and LA. Um, and I do a great deal of my business in the States. And so Toronto's great, but I do feel like we are very, we can get very comfortable. And so for me, it was very important. In my early 20s, I was, you know, I would skip paying my phone bills so I could afford flights, right? I would sleep at the airport. I would crash on couches and I would go to New York and I go to DC and go to LA and go to um, Atlanta and ha and just meet with strangers, set up meetings from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Right. And so like, you know, in, in my twenties, I did, you know, I explored, I had adventure. I, I called someone a hundred times until they would take a meeting with me, all those things. And so, you know, in Toronto, like I said, we have it very good. So it's easy to get comfortable. So I, I challenged myself to explore new environments so I could expand my future business, right? Because I'm in my early 20s, my, my future business. So, and, and, you know, fast forward today, I'm 33. I have fantastic, like my contact list is stupid. You know what I mean? Like I, anyone I need to know, I know, or if there's like a few people, you know, between us, you know, I can get the contact. So for, like being intentional with my networking strategy in my 20s was really important. And you saying that helps me transition into my next question, which is if I can't build with you or if I can't <laughs> chill with you, I can't build, can't with, build you. with you. So, so yeah. can you kind of talk about, you know, maybe what you look for in, in, in relationships, when, especially when you're trying to build with, you know, other people in the same field as you. I know you mentioned in one of the highlights I was watching that you, you don't compete with other people in your field. You try to grow with them. You try to build with them. So can you maybe just touch on the importance of that? Because I feel like a lot of people overlook that. They're like, they kind of look at it the opposite way. If I can't build with you, I can't chill with you. Um, so, I mean, I'm competitive by nature. I was an athlete for a greater portion of my childhood. So for me, you know, as much as I like, I want to collaborate, but I also want to be the best of what we do. So if we are collaborating, we're giving a hundred percent, right? We're, we're doing, we're going through lengths to make sure that like we're getting the work done. So for me, I'm just, I always have my eyes open. I feel like when you are moving into the direction of your dreams, books will fly off the shelves. People will come into your life. You will attract everything that you need to succeed, but people miss the clues because they're too fucking distracted. And so I'm just very aware of the people around me. And so like, again, when you study individuals, when you see clues, like look deeper into it, because then you may find out that this person could be a really great partner, collaborator, an ally. Right. And so for me, I just, I just, I stay curious. And so I just, you know, when I'm scrolling on social media, it's not just to double tap. It's also to go into people's DMs. I'll find their email. I'll email them, you know, I'll email them and set up a meeting. So like, I just feel like having a proactive approach is really important. And yeah, everyone in my life, I build with in some capacity. I love it. I love it. And from the outside looking in, you know, even for me, just, you know, looking at your Instagram page or for people who listen to this podcast and, and you saying, you know, like, for example, you saying your new 10K is way higher than that. Just different things. People can make assumptions that money is success or, or this is success. How do you for yourself define success? Like, what does that mean to you? So yeah. cause some, some people have a, a, a understanding of success that they apply to everybody they see in the world. So for right. you and, and the listeners, can you share what success means to you? Yeah, success is having the courage to pursue your dreams and giving more than what you take from this world. 
giving more than what you take. And how, how do you do that? How are you, how are you of service? Like, how do you feel like you can be of service on a daily basis? I know it could be through your work, but is there, do you feel like it's through your work or are there other ways that you, you strive to be of service to humanity? I have a mentorship program that I've been running since 2015. I've mentored well over 200 women in 11 countries. They all have my phone number. They, we talk all the time. Um, I have a, we have a great relationship, a great online community. And so mentorship is probably the greatest contribution that I can make with my life. Um, in the last two years, I've taken volunteer trips to Australia and gone to West Africa. Um, and so I will continue to lend my time wherever I can to causes that are important to me. So for me, I mean, I'm doing my small part and I just want to encourage other people to do this. Amazing. And if we all do, if we all lay a brick down, you know, brick by brick is how we build, build society. A lot of people talk about how we're on the edge of, you know, destruction or the world yeah. falling. And I can understand that. But, but what I always tell people is if you're a part of the change, what you can do is you can lay your brick and not, you know, your brick's not going to hold up the entire world, but just as long as you encourage people and you're setting an example and, and everyone is trying to contribute to, to lay a brick when the world does fall, at least it falls on the foundation that it can build from. Instead, Ooh, like of just, instead of just yeah. falling on just no bricks at all and having to rebuild from the bottom up. So if there's a foundation that we can set for the world to fall on when, when these terrible things happen, which yeah. are soon to happen, whatever it is, um, you know, at least we're prepared to, to, you know, we have a head start. And it starts with you, even in these tough times and these testing difficulties, it starts as, starts as us as a community, as a collective, giving back. Uh, you know, uh, providing information for communities, providing right. love, providing a, a shoulder for people to lean on when they're struggling with mental health or when they're struggling with different issues. So, you know, we can all do our part little by little. So I love yes. it. I love it. Um, I'm going to ask you two more questions. I'm going to let you slide because I know, I know, you know, okay. it's, it's later nighttime over there. I think, I think you guys are yes. ahead of time. <laughs> um, so, Maybe, uh, let's see, which one do I want to ask you? Which one do I want to ask you? You know, I'm going to ask you one off top for the people who, who are trying to grow their communities online. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for, for, you know, maybe speak, speak, speak directly to, 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 you know, actually, yes. What are some ways that you can grow a community online? So my simplest advice is just to share stories from your life. Like, so for instance, uh, a few days ago, I can't remember what day, but a few days ago, I shared a viral tweet um, and I shared it on Instagram as well. And it talked about how I met my recent partner and, you know, it did relatively well online. Okay. But that was just a slice of what's going on in my life right now. I think if you just stick to what you know, if you like, for, for instance, every day I write down in my journal, I'm not doing like diary entries, but I do some bullets. What happened to me today? What am I grateful for? And I use those as I build on those in my captions. Just stick to what you know. Talk about the shit that happens in your life. And for those of you who are probably saying, but nothing happens to me, nothing, you know, no one's going to care. You would be very, very, very surprised. I met my partner on an app on Clubhouse. I wrote about it in a tweet that went viral. Then I wrote about it on Instagram, went viral. You, who would have thought, but because of the pandemic, because people are craving hugs and affection, right? It did well because pe like people, it gave people hope, 
right? So you don't know who you're going to touch with your story. Maybe you didn't find love. Cool. But maybe you can offer insight. Maybe you can educate people on a project you're working on. Maybe you can share your perspective on something that's happening in your community, in your industry, or the world at large. Tell stories and work on your stories, tell, storytelling skills, and people will be attracted to that. I love it. Constantly and consistently be authentic and tell stories, and over time, the community will come. And just be patient. You know, exactly. one of one of my favorite things that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk said was, you know, something that I heard while I was doing these podcasts is I've been doing these podcasts for about two years now and like super consistently the past year. But it feels like I'm hustling, I'm hustling. But like, man, the views aren't going up, man, the community's not growing up, going up as fast as I want it to go. And sometimes you can beat yourself up. But the reality is, you know, Gary said it's way better to just keep going instead of quitting at episode 199 when you could have went up at exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love patient. that. I love and the thing that. Is, it's not. It's not about the numbers, though, mm -hmm. right? Because remember, you don't know who's watching, what power they hold, right? So, for me, I want quality following. I want a quality following rather than like a large following. Yeah, and I think I think like especially for individuals like you, and then for for the type of content that I post, and for people who are just trying to help the world it goes back to the same statement that you said it, you know, you never know who's watching. And what I always tell people like, you know, my siblings, when they're like, man, the, my views aren't going up. I'm like, man, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Cause look, just as long as you're spreading a positive message, just as long as you're spreading love, just as long as you're providing information, whether one person heard it or a million, all that matters is that you affect one heart. You know what I'm saying? Just that you have a positive effect on one heart and that can have a, tri a triple effect that you know nothing about. You know, a lot of people like, end up being successful because they heard one story that this guy told but he was told that story by somebody 50 years ago who like maybe wasn't a quote unquote nobody maybe he was a baker like you right. never know but 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 the influence trickles down like a domino effect so mm -hmm. always just always just value the information you're putting out there and make sure that you know it's 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 with purpose it's with pure intention exactly um, my final question for you, my yeah. final bonus question is, it's your last day here on earth. You're 115. You lived out <laughs> your full life that you wanted to live. You know, you you did exactly what you wanted to do. You, you left the legacy, but the legacy, all the books you've written, all the documentaries that are put out about you, all the articles put out about you have to leave with you to the next wherever we go after we pass away. But your great grandkids are sitting in front of you and you have to leave them with one piece of advice on how to live life. What are you going to tell them? Do your best and F the rest. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'm writing that down, ladies and gentlemen, do the best and F the rest like that. And with that being said, can you please leave the people here that listen to this episode or watch this episode tomorrow, the next day, the next year, the next 15 years, where they can find you on social and how yes. they can support you and your brand? Yeah, sure. So uh, Pollyanna Reed on all social platforms, uh, pollyannareed.com, thewritersblock.com, newgirlontheblock.com. Those are my companies. Um, and just, yeah, keep the lines of communication open, stay in touch. My DMs are open, emails open. I'm actually very easily accessible. So I look forward to uh, saying hello and um, thank you so much for this interview. It was fantastic. Absolutely. I got one more goodbye to say to you after I end this episode. Just give me a second. But ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the Culture Talks podcast. 
episode nine of season seven, I believe. Um, make sure you leave a five-star review and a comment as that is the only way we can grow. And with that being said, we are out of here. Salud. Thank <laughs> you.